If you think Justin's a beautiful man, like, subscribe, <laughs> comment below, hit that notification bell so that you don't miss a moment of this man's beauty. Justin. Henry. We are Henry. on chapter 12. We made it. We are now entering the second portion of the book of Genesis where we go through uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So, When you say second portion, what, what was the first portion about? First portion, chapters 1 through 11, the origins kind of, of, of how things came to be, uh, of why kind of setting the stage for why the world is the way it is. Uh, and then now uh, Genesis 12 and on is showing um, Moses is showing Israel where, where they came from out of all those origins. Ah, okay. So, yeah. Very interesting. The second half chapters one through 11 is what I, we just talked about. Abram's introduced at the very end of chapter 11 and in chapter 12, we get to learn all about Abram. I could not be more, excited about this abram he's a big deal he is a big deal he's a really big deal uh i'm pretty sure that um there's a song about abram yeah there is father abraham had many sons many sons had father abraham and i am one and so are you. <laughs> so something, something, something. You know it way better than me. <laughs> to be honest, I don't know how I remember that. Um, but it's and good. I don't even know how biblically accurate that song is. Because are we really sons of Abraham? Yeah, we have been grafted in, as Paul says in the New Testament. But we might not be, technically speaking. Genetically speaking, no, 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 no. We're 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 probably not genetic. Genetically speaking, we're probably sons of the lineage of uh, Japheth instead of Shem. Uh, Shem appears to be the father of the S Semitic people, right? So, uh, and so I don't know what our lineage is on down, but I mean, if we're saying if we're assuming like European descent or whatever in some facet, that that would be Japheth. And but it's likely point, a mixture, right? I mean, yeah, there's a lot of mixtures, and so. But I would just say that, like, no matter what, um, Paul said that that the church, like the church, is is grafted in, right? So we are we are sons and daughters by faith. At the, the very least, we all trace back to Noah and his wife. You so know, you're it. my long lost cousin from that perspective. Yep. And if we go even further back, right, we're all. We're all bros. We're all, everyone, I don't care who you are, we're bros. We're bros. Um, so, thank you bros, lady and man bros, for joining us today. And we are going to be digging into chapter 12. I cannot wait to get through this chapter. Actually, I, I want it to last forever. That's the, that's the perfect truth. I don't even want to speed through it. So, But let's get this ball rolling. I'm going to... Start with Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Abram journeys to Egypt. So before we even get into this, I want to read this, but Abram 
right now is actually in Haran, which is in the land of Canaan, if I recall correctly. Yep. Then he's going to southwest into Egypt. Hmm. So, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. I think there's some stuff to talk about there. Definitely think so. I mean, what what in the world is God talking about here? Yeah, so um, the land which I will show you, so that's the land of Canaan, I will make you a great nation. So the people, that, the descendants of Abraham are going to be the Hebrew people, the Israelites, and so that's going to be the nation of Israel. Um, and it says, I will make your name great. And um, so obviously he's the father of the, the Israelites, the father of the Hebrew pr- people. And so we see here, and you, and so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, uh, and the one who curses you I will curse. And so we kind of see this thing that um, <clears throat> throughout history, uh, there have been different scholars who have traced this. And so this is something that you can be up to your own discernment. But certain scholars have talked about that nations who have aligned themselves with Israel have received blessing. And nations who have been enemies of Israel have had a lot of struggles and have received some hardships. Mm. And so um, there are scholars that believe that this is very apparent today and that this is very, this is observable today. Um, Now, obviously that, that goes with, you know, this is connected to your just theological interpretation and how you interpret the Bible overall. Um, and things like that but um, and it says here though at the end of verse three and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed Mm. and so here is where we see uh, i believe this is tied to the messiah Uh, and so like all the families of the earth so we kind of see this idea that god has this very wide evangelistic focus um, just in the very beginning right i mean we've already seen that but this is, it's kind of reiterated here that God's evangelistic focus is not, you know, uh, he, he uses Israel. We talked about this as a mediator for him as, as um, Israel's responsibility, right, is to sh- sh- uh, show God's light, reveal God's light, reveal who God is. And so we see that God's ultimate, um, th- this fits well with kind of the New Testament about like, um, you know, God loving the world, right? and loving people from from every tribe tongue and nation and just kind of what he's doing um to have restored fellowship with them and so uh, we see this here and i believe this is connected to you know the the messiah once again that jesus is gonna uh his death on the cross you know and, and what that means for for all of us absolutely and let me just reemphasize one thing at the beginning of this. Go forth from your country. There's a command here. 
God's giving Abram a command to go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to a land which I will show you. God's asking quite a bit from Abram here. Hey, leave all your relatives. Leave your father's house. And this isn't like today, right? Where you can like jump on a plane and, you know, go back and visit your family or, you know, get on Skype or some type of video conferencing system so that you can still stay in touch with everybody. That's not what we're talking about here. Whenever you left to a new land, there's a good chance you're never going to see your family ever again. Yeah. That's a pretty, um, that's a pretty tough ask, you know, that God's asking of Abraham, Abram at this point. And so, um, however, we'll get to see how this plays out. Yes. I want to comment real quick on something you said. Um, so in Hebrews 11, uh, uh, verse eight, by faith, Abraham, when he was called obeyed by going out to a place, which he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going by faith. He lived as an alien in a land of promise in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. He, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So, yeah, I feel like that that kind of reiterates and parallels what you were saying about how this requires faith. Um, so we're going to talk more about that, though. Let's pick up in verse 4. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions, which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out from the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem, to the oak of Moray. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain of, on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Love it. Love it. So God commands Abram to do something in verse 1. And what do you see Abram do? Verse 4. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Lot is... Abraham's nephew. Mm -hmm. You can learn about Lot and his relationship with Abram in chapter 11. Well, I think that God, when he said, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to land. So I think that, I think that God wanted, still wanted uh, Abram to maybe go separate from Lot. Um, And so we'll kind of see that play out later on. Um, but either way, we see a lot of faithfulness by Abraham here. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. 
This is at the beginning of verse 7. Justin, is there any significance? Is this is this 7a? We'll call it 7a. Is this does this have any significance in the Bible? I think oh it definitely does. I would say that um this is kind of the beginning of where God is giving the boundaries of Israel. And so we see um later on, I believe it's in verse 15. I mean, sorry, chapter 15. I don't remember exactly, but we're gonna find it. Later on, um, we see that Abraham is get given specific boundaries, right? Of like, hey, uh, you know, your eastern boundary is going to be here, your western boundary here, northern boundary here, southern boundary here. And so God's going to map out these, the boundaries that he wants to give the tribes of Israel. And that's going to be discussed again in the book of Joshua. Once again, I'm, I'm commenting on a theological perspective because so one of the views that I have about um you know the boundaries and the promises of israel is is my biblical interpretation but if you don't have this interpretation it, it, it's not an essential thing um and so i believe though that we see in the old testament that <clears throat> israel never received the full boundaries that god had assigned to them they received their biggest boundaries when king solomon was reigning but so I believe Jesus Christ is coming back to reign a thousand year kingdom to where they will have Israel will have the full boundaries. But not only that, Christ is going to rule the whole world, but he's going to rule from the capital of the world, which will be uh, Israel where they from Jerusalem specifically. And they will have their full boundaries as far as like these specific tribes will actually occupy the full area that they were originally intended to live in. And so that's what I believe one of the significances of this verse is. Now, there are other people who interpret um, the Bible differently than I do. Um, and so that they view these promises as, as now being spiritualized because we're in the church age. And so they would see these verses as having different significance than I do. Um, here's the thing. So this is part of the A Abrahamic covenant. You know, in the past, we talked about the Noahic covenant. This is part of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, I don't want to get ahead, but in a up, very close upcoming chapter, we're going to see that God makes a treaty with, with Abram that I'm, that I'm going to go into more detail about then. And so with that, this is an unconditional promise, okay? You will receive this land at some point to the, to the Hebrew people. You will. But then when we get into Exodus, we see with the Mosaic covenant. Okay. Now these, a lot of these covenants, a lot, I'm going to need to explain more, but the, a lot of these covenants stack on top of each other. So, so the, the Noahic covenant, the, the Mosaic covenant conveniently stacks on top or the Abrahamic covenant. Then the Mosaic covenant conveniently stacks on top of the Abrahamic covenant. And then we have the new covenant. There are areas where it kind of like, we're no longer under the Mosaic covenant. Now God's moral uh, law, God's moral boundaries have always been the same. So it's not like it's okay to sin now. And it wasn't before it's never okay to sin. But what I'm, what I'm trying to get at with all this is that the Abrahamic covenant said you, this is your land. Okay. This will be your land, but the Mosaic covenant that stacks on top of that, uh, you know, Deuteronomy fleshes this out about the blessings and the curses. Right. And so will you get to enjoy the land? Will you get to receive the whole land? That's, a, that, that, that's the condition. If you obey the Mosaic Covenant, 
you will be blessed and receive the whole land right now. If you don't, you will be cursed and you won't receive the whole land right now and you won't enjoy the land. And so we're going to see that once again, I don't want to get wrapped up in everything, but anyway, that, that is something interesting that's going on with the covenant. And that is, and that all ties into this verse from my biblical view. Got it. And you immediately see Abram building an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So God is appearing to Abraham, Abram, excuse me. Yeah. So definitely. So, uh, so or like later on, we're going to see how the God in three persons came to, came to sit and eat with Abram. So we have, um, you know, in the old Testament or just in the Bible, when we talk about God appearing, like, uh, it's called a, a theophany, which means it's a physical manifestation of God. And so, what was that word? Theophany. 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 It's, it's a, a physical manifestation of God. Manifestation of God. Right. And so, where you can see, see God with your own eyes. Well, yes, but you can see God in the sense the way He chose to physically manifest Himself. Right? Because because God is a spiritual being but God chooses to manifest himself physically, however that might be. Um, and it, it can be different. It, it appears different in different books of the Bible, right? Right. And so um, we see here, though, that Abram heard an audible voice from God. Like he heard audible voices. And it seems that both Abram and Moses had similar experiences where they straight up heard audible voices and then straight up saw physical manifestations of god um or at, at least portions of it at, at least the way god presented himself because later on um god told Mo moses you know no man can see me and live and so he'll he'll let you see god will let you see him to a degree right um and so anyway that's that's what god did here with abram as well very cool Anything else on that section, or do you want to move on to verse 10? Yeah, I can't think of anything else. Um, I think you, you covered a lot of good stuff, man. Yeah. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. It came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels whoa 
Abrams nope. not telling the truth in this little section. Yeah, there's a couple things going on in this section. Um, one is that there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt. So God didn't call Abram to Egypt. He called Abram to Canaan. So obviously it seems logical why one would want to leave an area where there's a famine and go to another area where there's not a famine. I don't know that Abram should have done this, though. Um, there are some problems that happen in Egypt. The, some, the story of Abram, though, it, it shows God's grace, right? Because God is this, I, I, God told Abram, I'll make your name great, great. I will, you know, have your descendants, like all these things. And he puts, he put Abram, Abraham in the faith chapter. But we see all these screw ups that Abram does. And it just shows God's grace of saying, hey, look, he wants us to have faith in him but he's not trying to count all the times we screw up against us. He's asking us to move forward in faith. And if we do that, he's, he's going to reward us, right? There are rewards and it's not like, uh, well, you screwed up here. So never mind. you know, God is very gracious. And, and we, we, we see this and, and Abram, this is not the, this is not the last mistake we're going to read by Abram, okay? <laughs> Agreed. So what you're saying is from the very first verse in the section, there was a famine in the land. It appears Abram, that worried Abram, right? Because when you don't eat, you die. So Abram went down to Egypt, which I suspect he thought was a logical move because there was more food in that area so that he could essentially eat. And I would just say this logic is definitely a ability that God gave us, but I would never put logic over a clear commandment from God because then you're asking for trouble. And listen, for tens, hundreds, thousands of years, man has made decisions based on logic that ultimately blew up in their face. And I don't, we don't have to call out whole societies. I think these are, there's been decisions that I've made as well that were based on logic that were not the best decision ultimately. And if I would have had more faith, then I think there was, would have been a much, much better result. And what you've just described is a, a negative result from Abram relying upon his own logic. There was a lot of negative results that came from this decision that he makes here. Right, and and maybe you know, like, like I said, I don't. I want to be careful. Uh, you know, there may be differing views on this, and so I'm not trying to, you know, make this a, an essential, an essential or a clear cut. But you know, he he maybe he. Maybe he knows, hey, I'm kind of traveling outside of God's will. And so maybe that contributes to him lying about who his wife is or lying about his relationship with his wife. Because maybe he's thinking, hey, I don't have God's protection here because he didn't call me to Egypt. So maybe I need to lie here. You know, maybe this is something. Um, so here's the thing. Well, once again, these are uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's difficult for me to say I, I, I'm still learning about Abram's life you know, all these verses. Um, but I guess that's where I'm at right now. I think it's worth considering. Right. 
And I definitely would agree that Abram in this region, while there's food there, he's nervous for his own safety. And because of how beautiful his wife was. And not only did Abram think that his wife was beautiful, but the Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. So this, this woman wasn't just beautiful to Abram. This woman was so beautiful that she was brought to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the region. And I just, um, I can imagine if, if she was that beautiful, I imagine if I was Abram, I'd be a little nervous as well, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, and it, it's interesting that you brought up her beauty. I think, um, what well, one of the things, uh, well, one of the conversations within the, the philo philosophy or art world is, is beauty objective or, or subjective. And I think that if you've put your faith in Christ, if you believe in the Bible, then you should believe that beauty is objective. And if you believe in, in a naturalistic, atheistic worldview, I think it would be consistent with your worldview for you to say that beauty is subjective. Um, now, within the Christian worldview, beauty can be both objective and subjective, right? Because that objective beauty is still, the, the level of it can still be some, somewhat subjective. But the point is that God created objective beauty and that I think that sometimes that that can get confusing, especially in the Western culture is I think that there are some Christians or churches who kind of want to get, get away from that or don't want to, don't appreciate that as much. Um, and I think that, that we need this balance of like, no, God created objective beauty. And I mean, so this is not the first time we're going to hear about how amazing you, amazingly beautiful Sarah is, okay? It's going to happen over and over again in this book. And then also in the book of Esther, we're going to hear how insanely beautiful Esther was. And so this is um, objective beauty, and this is a blessing from God. It's not a negative thing. Now, I mean, as you know, we get into the book of Ecclesiastes when it talks about vanity, right? So, like, I think that you need to just keep your perspective of appreciating beauty with, with, within this a certain spectrum, right? I mean, don't go to the one spectrum and say that, you know, beauties doesn't matter. It's not, you know, God doesn't get caught up in that stuff. All that Well, God created objective beauty. So, but also don't go on, on the vain side, you know, on, on the vanity side of things where, um, you know what I'm saying? It, you're, you're, you're focusing on, you're not focusing on any of the right things or, 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 or you're, you're not glorifying God for the right reasons or, you know. Right. And we, you're just talking about one attribute, right? Exactly. I think you're talking about, I mean, obviously there's people, some people are smart, inherently smarter than other people. Some people were born with more gifts that way. Some people were born with maybe being more beautiful or handsome like yourself. <laughs> and the rest of us guys have to live up to uh, your objective beauty. Um, <laughs> I'm no, a big, we're, we're, I'm, we're only I'm, talking about the ladies right now. 
<laughs> I'm actually a fan of subjective beauty. And all my bros out there, you know what I'm talking about. Because when subjective <laughs> beauty exists, we we have more of a chance. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, no, but I, uh, your conversation, your discussion on objective beauty really, it's just that. It's just one particular attribute. And really, God, you know, if you're a beautiful person, uh, I wouldn't know anything about that. But uh, <laughs> maybe, Justin, you could tell us more what it's like. No, uh, <laughs> I, I, I would just say, though, but when I say objective beauty, I'm not just talking. So right now, the topic came up with, with, with Sarai. But objective beauty is also, like I said, when I first brought it up about philosophy and art and things like that, like there are like 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 paintings right you're talking about like objective truths right you know you, you're you're in the whole world is not just this subjective place where everyone has a relative truth i think that's it, what you're kind of getting at well definitely i think that those tie in together but i think that there are objective there still is objective beauty in a sense of like going beyond just the physical appearance of people like art or or even like when when god created um our world and if you've ever like gone hiking in the mountains or like you know one of the things i think that if you're ever driving through the mountains early in the morning and, and there's kind of this cloud and this mountain view right yeah and and there's this there's this breathtakingness that can happen and, and, and that's objective beauty like god god created so many different things that are objectively beautiful not just not not just the certain women right that we're reading about in the bible i'm just saying that it goes beyond that and so that still ties into the philosophical like aspect of if this is all random, how is, you know, looking alpha mountaintop to these valleys and the trees, how is that so objectively beautiful and breathtaking? Right. Like only a creator could, could make something like that. Um, and then it, paintings though, cause God made us in his image. And so we have the ability to be creative too. And so like, um, you know, there, there's paintings throughout history uh, that, so, you know, I, I, I haven't been to a lot of fancy art museums, but I've had professors who have, and they've talked about how there are certain paintings when you go in through the Louvre or whatever it is in Paris or other art museums that like, there are these paintings like, you know, Vincent Van Gogh's Starry Night. I had a professor who saw that in person and he said that- He you cried. Know, well, I don't remember that, but he was just saying that like, a, as they turn the corner to, to go to see Vincent Van Gogh, everyone just walked up and was standing there silently. Right. And it's not like crying, be, be, Silent. <laughs> silently well, crying. Well, 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 the idea is that everyone like saw it, it was just breathtaking. It was objectively. They couldn't breathe. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So. I think you know what I'm saying. Paramedics were standing by. Yeah. Nobody was hurt in the <laughs> creation of this painting. Yeah. All right. So we're in verse 17, unless you had any, any other thoughts. on Comments this of how beautiful you are. We don't have to move on so fast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can camp out here for longer if we need. Uh, okay. All right. Please say that you are my sister. You know, I, I will just say this. Lying, um, we've actually had long conversations 
not while taking long walks on the beach, just long conversations about when it's appropriate to lie. Yeah. Right. And I think there's a situation here where Abram, he was ultimately lying so that he wasn't going to die. You know, and that's a very interesting topic in and of itself. Justin, you've done a little bit of research on this. Uh, what have what has been your conclusion based upon your in-depth study of lying in the Bible? Uh, because yeah. you don't. This isn't the first time you'll see someone lie. Yeah. I mean, first question. off, the snake, Satan, lied at the beginning of Genesis, and so that was really the first lie. But yeah, this I would is the say second that, lie, I believe. Yeah, that's I wasn't counting, but you're right. It seems like it. <laughs> so, number <laughs> number numero dos. <laughs> uh, so I would say that this lie appears to be a sin to me, um, because this lie ended up getting, uh, this lie would end up compromising the sanctity of marriage, right? And so this is kind of one of those things where Pharaoh ended up taking Sarai. Uh, as if he was going to make her his wife. And that's, we haven't gotten to that part yet of how God responds, but God doesn't like that. And so uh, I definitely, I think that, uh, man, I, I, I have most situations view. you would say that lying is it, the wrong is, way to go. It is. And, and I, I so, probably you know, 99 or 999 times out of a thousand. Right, but I also view this as a sin because this is kind of Abraham's protecting himself and not necessarily his wife, right? So that's not that's not what I view um, God gave that, – that, that, that's not what I believe God called husbands to do in their marriages. I, I believe that God called husbands to protect their wives at the risk of their own safety. And that's not what Abram's doing here, right? He's protecting himself, his own safety, and risking his wife, um, or, or just whatever. Not that she would die, but that, uh, you know what I'm saying, that, that this isn't good. This isn't good the way he's risking her. And so that this is, I view this as a sin. The area that you're referring to that I would say is where it gets fuzzy or different is you know we're actually when we get to the book of exodus we'll talk more about it but when um when the people the israelites were living in in the the land of egypt later on when moses around the time moses was born pharaoh had told uh the 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 uh egyptian women who were helping the israelite women have babies he had told them hey kill all the male babies we need to cut down on the population and what happened in that sense is you have what they called the Egyptian midwives, the, the women who were helping. Once again, the Hebrew women have the babies or, or during the birthing process. Basically like little nurses. Like nurses. You're, you're right. Great. Nurses um, who – what what they did is, is they knew that what Pharaoh had told, to do them, told them to do was wrong. So these women refused to kill these Hebrew boys, these babies. And then they lied to Pharaoh and said, hey, look, because he, he could tell that there keep being a lot of babies born. And they're like, look, these Hebrew women are hardcore. They're having, they're having the babies and everything before we can even get there, right? And so they lied. And it, it was explicit in the book of Exodus. They lied 
and then God blessed them for that, right? So it's not the act of the lie that God was so happy about or blessed them for. It was the act of preserving human life, right? right? And so, look, I mean, we, I'm sure many of us have read stories about what happened in, in Nazi Germany um, when they were trying to kill Jews and there was this underground resistance and things like that. And I've read stories where people lied to protect Jews or other people um, that were the Nazis were trying to kill. And absolutely, that was what you should do. You should, yeah, I, I, look, I don't believe Nazis are going to ever resurface, but in that situation where a Nazi asks you, are there Jews here or there? And you say no in order to save lives, you should absolutely do that, you know? And so that, that, that's not a sin. Uh, because the motive behind it was the preservation of human life. It, it, it's not a lot of times, most of the time when we lie, it, it's, it, it's the selfish motive, right? It's not this, how can I present, prevent a whole lot of people from dying? And, and, and though those are different. And so that's, I guess that addresses your question about lying and sin and, and just kind of the trickiness of it. Right. I would just reiterate, I agree. Most of the time, I think whenever we are considering lying, it's really for self-preservation and not to save other people's lives. So, or just, just selfishness in general, right? Just that, that that's how I see it. Right. Selfishness. selfishness in general, yes. One more thing to point out here, actually. It's really important. So Abram, you know, this is a tricky verse. In a sense. Justin, can you read verse 13? Yes, I can. Please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and that I may live on account of you. Now, is Abram technically lying here? <clears throat> yeah, so this was his half sister. Yeah, he is lying. Because you, you, you're going to say later this was his half sister. And so he wasn't lying, but the deception, like sometimes you can phrase words in certain ways that you know that you're like, hey, I didn't technically lie here, but you know, based on the way that you phrased it, the, the person is going to interpret it in a totally untrue way, right? You know that. And when you know that and you phrase it a way that they're going to interpret it in a completely untrue way, that is lying. Yeah. Misleading at the very least. Yeah, and misleading is lying's evil cousin. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I would say that 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 misleading is uh, is is not good either. I would say that you know being misleading, lying for for selfish gain is is still a sin. That's right. When you see an advertisement on TV and it tells you something, and you then you read the fine print, and you're like, oh, that's what that says. That's not exactly what I just read. You know, so yeah. you can feel a little bit misled. No one likes right. to be misled. Like when those Skechers shoes promise to give you a better butt and they don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't own any of those shoes. <laughs> what are you wearing right now? Are you? <laughs> I'm not wearing any shoes. <laughs> okay, verse 17. So verse 17, but the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? 
Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away and his wife and all that belonged to him. Whoa, okay. There is some very interesting stuff here. So God is clearly not happy about the situation here and struck Pharaoh with some great plagues. Now, the word here is great, which this isn't your average run-of-the-mill regular plague. This sounds like something that is not good. Very not good, to say <laughs> not the least. Good. Yep. <laughs> um, I, think Ab I think Pharaoh has the right to be upset here. Yeah. Because Abram totally screwed up part of Pharaoh's life at the very least. And Pharaoh calls him out on this. Yep. Pharaoh tells Abraham, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she, Sarai, was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. So it appears here that Pharaoh took Sarai as his wife. So here's what I don't know, though, to the degree, like, did he take her and put her kind of in this whole, almost like an engagement type? Engagement holding chamber. Engagement holding chamber. <laughs> or, or, or did he actually take her, go through like a ceremony to make her his wife? So that's what I don't know. You know, which one was it? I, I don't know. Um I don't think there's enough information there. Are you asking but, whether they consummated the marriage or not, basically? I wasn't going to say it, but you did. Well, we're all so, adults here, so. Yeah. <laughs> at least, we're all bros here. At least one of us is an adult bro on here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Age before beauty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so the idea, though, but either way, he, here's the conclusion that I would draw from this passage is that how serious the seriousness of marriage to God. And, and the sanctity of marriage to God, and that um, the uh, how uh, uh, adultery is something that God hates, and that uh, so that, that that is something that I think we can take with some concrete um, understanding here. Agreed, and I'm also shocked that Abram let it go this far. Yeah, and, and, and that's what I'm saying, and that's why I think it's clear that he was it was a sin what he did here. This could have been one of those slippery slope situations where you start off with a lie, then the lie just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you got a huge mess on your hands. Yep. So, you know, it's a bit self-serving from Abram as well, because if you see Abram's getting a lot out of this, yep. he's getting sheep, oxen, donkeys, male and female servants, camels. Yep. I mean... So, yeah, that's a bit, you know, Abram, I'm not super proud of Abram in this situation. He goes from being this super epic guy who leaves his homeland and then 
you know, immediately gets into this type of mess, which I think makes Abram very relatable. Abram wasn't a perfect yeah. person. Right. You know, he made mistakes. And at yeah. the very end of this chapter, what we see is we see Abram and his wife. And they escort them away and everything that had belonged to them. And at this point, it seems that what belongs to them is, you know, not only Abram and his wife in that group, but what belonged to them was ultimately sheep, oxen, donkeys, servants, camels. So, you know, Abram, uh, he got something out of all this. That can sound like a good thing, but as you mentioned earlier, sometimes you get all this stuff. It's not actually a good thing. You know, uh, you give someone who's not putting God first in their life, you give them a million dollars. Is that going to make them a better person? Is that really going to make them happier? I think I like the saying that the only people that know that money won't make you happy are wealthy people. Wealthy people, they have the money and they know that that money won't make you happy. And everybody else who doesn't have money looks to those wealthy people and say, oh, if I only had all this money or I only had all these things, then I would be happy. When in reality, that's an illusion. That's, a, that's, that's an illusion, right? They're disillusioned into thinking that. So that's the first uh, point that I would make. The second point is, Who's to say God wouldn't have blessed them with all that stuff anyways if Abram would have stayed faithful to begin with? Maybe he would have been blessed more. I think the perfect analogy to this is whenever you see one of these crazy successful criminals, these famous criminals that you see in a documentary, and you're like, man, this, this criminal, he's a hardworking guy. I mean, he's working all the time. He's you know successful. If he just applied that exact same work ethic and that exact same managerial skills and that exact same intelligence to a normal job, not only would he have gotten every, everything that materially that he'd want anyways, but he'd also not have to go to jail. And so, yeah, I definitely do think this section is extremely Interesting. I'm super excited that we're messing around with Abram right now. Um, we're flying through the Bible right now. Genesis yes, I, 12. I agree. Henry, I wanted to, to piggyback on something you just said. Um, it reminded me of something I had heard in a church uh, or in a sermon years ago. Um, so even, even to back up what you said from a real-life example, someone who does not share our worldview, um, there's a quote here, and you can look it up for yourself. It appears to come from February 28th, 2017, where Jim Carrey, the famous actor, said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. And so this is not some... <clears throat> it's not some Christian, Christian guy, yeah. Yeah, it's not some Christian theologian we're quoting to support our own view. This is someone that you remarked to earlier who has millions of dollars, fame, and everything, and realizes it's not the answer. Um, and, you know, that's what, that, uh, that's what certain books of the Bible, certain parts of the Bible say. You know, and, and talking about Romans, 
Uh, the book of Romans, God has set eternity in our hearts. And so like, there's this discontentment. Like if we don't have a relationship with God, that money, fame, whatever it is, can never fill. Um, and so only, only God can take care of that. Love it. Quoting Jim, Jim Carrey in the Bible. Yeah. This episode. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we should end this episode with more Jim Carrey quotes. Yeah. Like, Alrighty then. <laughs> Alrighty then. Um, yeah. Anyways, I'm excited to be, we, we just, we're in the second half again. This is the first chapter of the second half. We're going to be plowing right through on. And Genesis only has 50 chapters in it. So 12 through 50 are the second half of all this. And I'm really excited. Bros, have a brotastic bro day. And we will bro you later. See you, broskies. <laughs>